This is Stories of New Americans with Ron Clutho, featuring inspirational and fascinating personal stories of people from all corners of the globe who are now in St. Louis. We'll take a look at the U.S. through newcomers' eyes, get some insight into world history and cultures, and maybe learn something about ourselves. Stories of New Americans on News Talk STL. Welcome back to Stories of New Americans here at News Talk STL. Uh, tonight, my guest is George Njungu from, well, I'm going to say he's from the Democratic Republic of Congo, but it's much more complicated than that. He's from many countries, as we'll find out. Um, but let's start with commonly called the DRC, the Democratic Republic of Congo. Yep. Um, first of all, let's set the scene because I think a lot of people might not be familiar with where it is on the map geographically. What, Where is the country situated and what countries border it? Yes. So uh, if someone were to take the, uh, the map of Africa and just look at it straight on, the country that's smack dab in the middle, that would be uh, the Democratic Republic of Congo. And in terms of our neighbors, uh, we have uh, to the north, we have the Central African Republic. About north uh, west, we have Cameroon. Um, to the east, we have Uga- uh, Uganda. Burundi, um, Rwanda, Tanzania. I can't. I can't remember if there's uh, Kenya is a little bit farther uh, mm-hmm. down, and then to the south we have Zambia and Angola, and then uh, on the western front we have the uh, uh, just a sliver of the uh, Atlantic Ocean that comes oh, through. Yeah. But, okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a big country, and with all you know, we're, as we're going to talk about in a few minutes, all those neighbors. You know, yeah. good and bad about having all those neighbors. Yeah, yeah. Um, very diverse too, right? Like yes. I see that there are about 250 different ethnic groups. Correct. Uh, and it's the the number is actually a little bit more uh, than that. Is uh, or 300 um, because uh, in the so most of the ethnic groups that are known are the major ones, but even in those uh, ethnic groups, you have smaller uh, breakouts, uh, so to speak. So uh, there's there's over 300. And all those languages, I guess, they're not mutually intelligible. I mean, people can't understand necessarily all the languages. They're not related necessarily. Right. Yeah. Some are, yes. probably. So some are. Some are. Like, you, you'd have, uh, for instance, um, like, the, the part of the country where we're from, the southern part. Um, uh, but my parents are from two different tribes. And, uh, but my, my parents can understand, you know, the language of, uh, one another's tribe yeah. and, and whatnot. But if you go just a little bit, uh, farther, either east or west, it gets a little, uh, more difficult to understand. But the, is the official language French? Or maybe the, there, there are several, maybe. Correct. Yeah. The official language of the country is French. Okay. But, um, again, uh, every province, every yeah. region of the country has their own, uh, lingua franc. Yeah. Speak. Is Lingala also a official language, or it is not uh, official in terms of um, it is necessary for, let's say, documents and yeah. and stuff like that. But it is understood to be a national uh, language, along with uh, Swahili and uh, I believe Kikongo. Yeah, but I'm not. I'm not yeah, so sure. The Congolese I met coming into St. Louis usually spoke one or more right. languages. Yes, and then. 
I believe that the country was named for the Congo River. Correct. Right? Yep. 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 And it, mm-hmm. the name has changed a couple times, and we'll talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, it was obviously a long history, but it was under Belgian control for some time. And my background is Belgian, so maybe that's why I feel (laughs) an affinity with Congo and and Rwanda. But, um, you know, that there's probably some mixed uh, opinions about whether or not that was a good thing with the Belgians in that country for, I don't know, 75 years or something. Yeah. What is, what do you think? Was it a good thing that the Belgians came in? Did they do good things or was it mostly exploitative? Yeah, well, um, I don't think that we can... We can say that, you know, uh, the Belgians just did all horrible things because uh, some of the good things that they did was uh, they left infrastructure and stuff like that. And uh, they brought education. You know, a lot of Congolese got educated uh, uh, at that time. Um, so uh, it wasn't all negative. Now, it is true that, you know, uh, King Leopold uh, made yeah. uh, the whole country his playground, his basically. playground, yeah, his backyard. Uh, so... Yeah, with the negative, of course, I, th- I think the negative outweighs the uh, the positive. But we can't we can't say that it was all it was all negative. There were some good things uh, that came out of it. Um, so, yeah, I-, I see it in that light at least. So, uh, try to focus on what was positive and uh, yeah. take that away. And you know, the negative, you know, it happened. It's history. Uh, let's move forward. Yeah. Okay. Well, then, 1960 became an independent country. Yep. With um, Patrice Lumumba, right, and then th- this is interesting. I, you know, it turned into one of the many proxy wars that mm-hmm. the United States and Soviet Union fought. And do you know what led to that, or what happened that caused that problem? You know, I was actually reading upon the history uh, not too long ago, and um, I think I was I was uh, mistaken. Um, as to the cause, uh, and I just found out recently that the actual cause for, um, you know, what actually ended up happening was that at that, uh, during the 1960s and whatnot, um, the southern province of uh, Katanga, but that, uh, yeah, uh, had a leader called Moise Chombe, and he wanted to uh, secede from, from the country. Yeah, so he wanted an independent country uh, of uh, Katanga. Now, Patrice Lumumba was against that because being prime minister yep. uh, at the time, um, uh, he, he was against that. And so he wanted to enlist the help of the U.S. at first. Like uh, He wanted to uh, ask the U.S. to come and uh, help out uh, in the war. But the U.S. was was not uh, willing, was not uh, willing to uh, help the Congolese, you know, in that struggle. And so he, uh, he thought to himself, well, since the, the Americans won't do it, well, I'm I'm going to go to the uh, Soviets. And so uh, when he decided to do that, um, that's when, uh, you know, the, 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 the U.S. was, was not too uh, happy. And especially what ex- uh, exacerbated uh, the issue was the fact that at that time uh, you had the Ghanaian president, uh, Krumah, uh, who was, you know, disseminating, you know, uh, pan-Africanism yeah. uh, all over the place. And, they saw that uh, Patrice Lumumba started, you know, getting connected uh, to Nkrumah and they were getting along. So that spelled, uh, you know, trouble, yeah. uh, so to speak, uh, on the African, uh, uh, you know, scene. 
in terms of, you know, the U.S. Uh, perspective. And so I think that is what caused the U.S. to get involved in uh, trying to, uh, you know, take out the Lumumba regime. And it kind of went from the frying pan to the fire then. Correct. With yeah. Mobutu. Yeah. Yeah. Mobutu led his coup. Uh, so basically, the C- American CIA was instrumental in removing Lumumba and yes. putting Mobutu in power. Yes, basically. Yes. So uh, the CIA uh, helped uh, Mobutu when uh, he rose up uh, uh, to 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 make the coup, and then, of course, you also had other uh, Western powers. Uh, yeah. The French, uh, the Belgium was also involved uh, to a certain degree uh, at at the time. Um, so. Yeah, so you you had uh, these Western powers, you know, supporting uh, Mobutu and and his coup, and uh, of course when Lumumba tried to hide, you know, he got uh, apprehended and then was sent over to uh, Katanga. Now, so Mobutu became the leader, and then he changed the name to Zaire. And you know what's interesting? He actually did not become the leader right away. Oh, because uh, so he first he did uh, the coup, and uh, you know Lumumba was was removed. But then at that time, Kasavubu, Joseph Kasavubu was the president, so he remained uh, for a few more a few more years. And then later on, Mobutu did another coup uh, to where he then became president. I believe that was in seventy one. I'm not I'm not okay. too too sure about uh, the exact dates, but yeah, so. He then became uh, the leader, the uh, the president, and that's where he decided to change, to remove all Western uh, right influence out of the country and uh, make it all you know local. Right. Uh, that's why you know his name was actually Joseph Mobutu, yeah. and decided to t- change his name to Mobutu Sese Seko. Right. So it's much longer than that. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. So he changed the name to Zaire, and then, I mean, we I. I wish we had time to talk about Congolese history, but there's so much more to talk about. Right. I, just basically, yeah. you know, um, he was replaced by Kabila, and yes, that, and he changed the name back to the Democratic Republic of Congo. Correct. Yep. And uh, you know, there are we have a number of Congolese refugees in St. Louis mm-hmm. because of the wars that have been taking place there that most people don't even know about. Yeah. Um, just in a nutshell, can you basically touch on what those wars are about? And then we're going to move on to the next country of your life. Yes. Uh, so basically, I guess that you know, like you said, the 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 first one, uh, the Cong- the first Congo crisis, uh, first Congo war, so to speak, was you know uh, Kabila uh, coming in uh, with his army from from the east, uh, backed up by, I believe at the time it was Zimbabwe and. Uh, well, no, uh, it was actually Uganda, Rwanda, and some other ones. Um, and then, you know, when he got established uh, in power and, and, and whatnot, he didn't want to follow up on the agreements that he had with his supporters. And so his supporters turned against him. And then that's when he enlisted, I think, the help of Zimbabwe and Niger. All those countries that you mentioned that were yeah. neighboring Ang- uh, yeah. Angola, Zimbabwe, Rwanda. Yeah. I think he was working with the Tutsis. At, yeah, yeah, Tutsis yeah. Tutsis that's how he killed over, and then yep, anyway, yep. yep. But um, is it what's it like now? Are is it peaceful now? Are there still conflicts around the country? There, there is still a lot of conflict, especially in the eastern part uh, of uh, the country. Uh, in the western, uh, in the southern part, uh, the part where I'm from, 
we still have rebel groups that also still uh, continue that legacy of Moishombe of the 1960s where they want to secede from the country. They want the southern part of the country to be its own independent country. Uh, but it's not as uh, uh, pronounced as, you know, the conflicts. In the Would it be a good idea for some of these areas to secede? Because, as you said, it's so big, so diverse. Maybe it's just too big. And well, it was it was the borders were drawn by Europeans anyway. Europeans, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So so um, it, it it is true. And uh, when we look at when we look at it in the from uh, uh, from the point of view that you know there are so many tribes and uh, tribalism is is a huge problem uh, in Congo. So when we look at it from that uh, standpoint, it is true that it, it might be better to just you know leave uh, each uh, part to have its own government. Um, but I don't know. I don't know whether it would be either the solution, uh, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because again, it's, um, it has been one country for, for a while. I mean, it's not that, that old, but it has been one country for a while. And it's going to take a lot of shedding of blood, I believe, uh, to, to have that, you know, dividing uh yeah. to happen so and it's such a rich country with natural resources yeah. and yeah. mineral yeah. and what what would it take to um you know let the people benefit from that is it is it just like political corruption that's keeping that going so i think it's two uh it's two things going on it's uh foreign uh involvement and by foreign i mean both uh local as in neighbors neighboring surrounding countries but also you know uh international uh international there's a saying that um every <laughs> m- most uh advanced developed countries in the world have a share in congo yeah mm-hmm. that, that's just how much uh resources that the country have that uh they they can't just allow you know one the congo itself to enjoy all of that you know there's just there's just too much mm-hmm. so uh congo needs to share and so um so 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 yeah the it's 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 going to be it's going to be difficult uh for the for the congolese people to you know enjoy all of that stuff with you know let's just say, say all these birds of prey you know, surrounding yeah. uh, all over. But at the same time, also, it's the political corruption because there's a, a collusion that's going on between, you know, you know, foreign powers coming and taking stuff and, you know, uh, the local authorities, you know, getting a kick out of that yeah. uh, so that it can continue to keep the people uh, in poverty and not enjoy uh, the resources that mm. their land has. And it is a very rich country. Yeah, yeah. One of the believe, richest. I, I believe it's, if it's not the first, it's the second uh, in terms of uh, natural resources. Diamonds. And, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Look, I think we need to take a little short break here. And then when we come back, we're going to start talking about your particular story. All right. This is where it gets really interesting. You're listening to Stories of New Americans on 101.9, 94.1. We'll be right back. Stories of New Americans with Ron Clutho on News Talk STL. Stories of New Americans. Brought to you in part by Arnell's Hardwoods. 
For all of your laminate and hardwood flooring needs, call them at 314-397-3252. Stories of New Americans. Brought to you in part by the Indoor Comfort Team. For all of your heating and cooling needs, call the Indoor Comfort Team at 314-230-9542. This is Stories of New Americans with Ron Clutho on News Talk STL. All right, welcome back. We're talking to, with George Njungu from Congo, BRC, and we really had a overview of Congolese history, but now I want to talk about your history, your personal history, because it's interesting. So you, what is your, you said your parents are from two different ethnicities. What, what language did you speak growing up? Growing up, I, I grew up speaking Swahili. Oh. Because that's the, uh, the lingua franca, fr- uh, franca of um, the part of the country uh, where we're from. Uh, my, my parents spoke, you know, their tribal languages and other tribal languages, but uh, we generally spoke Swahili. Okay. And that you said you were born in the south part of the country? Yes. Okay. Right. Um, what was it like in, in your community? Was it a was it an ethnically mixed area? Was it a village, a city, a town? So I was actually born uh at the time it was a small town, uh, uh called Sendoa. Okay. Um but we moved we moved from there to another uh town a little bit bigger than where I was born. And then not too long after, we moved to the second largest city oh. in in the country, which is Lubumbashi. Um, and Lubumbashi just, you know, draws people. It's it's just like the capital, Kinshasa, draws people from, you know, all over the country. And so, it, it, yeah, Lubumbashi was uh, ethnically uh, diverse. Yeah. Did you go to school there then? Or? Yes, I did. Okay. I did for uh, my, my uh, first and second grade, I believe. I was uh, I went to school uh, in Lubumbashi. What was the school like? Was it a private school, a public school? I think it was a, pi- a public school. Okay, I think it was a public school. Yeah, because uh, my parents were uh, did not have the means uh, to send us to uh, private schools. So, what was the school like? Was it, was it were the teachers strict? Where there was a lot of homework? Yeah. So uh, with African schools, I don't know if it's still the case, uh, but in African schools, I think we're going to touch on Senegal a little bit. Uh, um, most African schools, you know, education, uh, you know, to, to say this in, in the U.S., to an American mind, it's, it's, it's going to be baffling. But, um, you know, when you do not do well in class, you know, there's physical punishment. It used to there, be like was, that here. Okay, okay, all right, okay. Yeah, so Too long ago. Okay, yeah, so uh, that, um, so in, in that sense, it was strict, but it was uh, kind of good strictness, you know, like for, for the good of the child, of the student. It's not to just, you know, abuse the person. It was to, you know, help them uh, uh, in their education, uh, maybe, uh, make sure, you know, that they, you know, they're focused in class and that uh, they're taking their studies seriously and whatnot. So in that sense, it was strict, but um, not uh, an abusing uh, strictness, so, mm-hmm. so to speak. Yeah. A lot of homework? A lot of homework, yep. Yeah. And I guess yeah. the teacher, pro- I am, I'm assuming that teachers had a position of a lot of respect. Authority. Uh, right. Yeah. Well, and, but also respect from the community. Yeah. I guess. Yes. 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 Yeah. So teachers are really respected. Mm-hmm. Uh, to this day, teachers are really respected because they're viewed and seen as, you know, uh, those who are going to form the next generation uh, of the country. 
what did um, kids do for fun in your community? Soccer probably is one thing. You know, actually, growing up in Congo, I'd never uh, played soccer. The first sport I actually played was American football when I came to the U.S. But that's, uh, uh, but uh, I'm speechless. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, but uh, we used to play uh, uh, with uh, marbles. Oh, uh, marbles, and uh, we used to do uh, some some other other types of games. You know, like cops and robbers, and mm. you know those classic you know childhood games. Mm-hmm. Uh, kick the can and all that. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. That's that's what we used to uh, uh, to play. Now, this was in the Kabila era, right? Correct. Yeah. So, do you remember? You were young then, but do you remember if there were, uh, if the regime, how the regime was towards people like you or, or just civilians? Was it difficult? Were there problems in everyday life because of the polit- political situation? Um, so, what I actually remember, and a story that is actually told me <laughs> oftentimes, and uh, I, I, I never actually witnessed it. Um, so when the uh, Kabila regime came in, came in. Now Kabila was uh, a very um, he was particular about you know order. Mm-hmm. So uh, when he came in, he saw that you know everything was in disorder. People were behaving wherever they pleased. So he wanted to change that. And one of the things that he implemented was uh, you know punishment on the scene when an infraction or you know a breaking of the law was uh, witnessed by soldiers. You know soldiers were you know. Uh, you know, keeping order uh, in the in the cities, and so for instance, you 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 couldn't throw trash, uh, you know, on the street. Like if you're seen doing that, uh, military officials are gonna uh, on the spot. You know, they're gonna beat you, pretty much. Really? Yeah, they're gonna beat you on the spot, and then let you go after that. Uh, just as a way to, that was his way to sort of try to you know <laughs> restore order in the country. Whether that's the way to go about it or not, you know, uh, the uh, people can debate about it. But um, that was his way. And a story that is often told me is that my uh, uh, one of the other things you couldn't do is you couldn't eat on the street. Okay. Like if you want to eat, you have to either go, you know, at a certain spot, uh, sit and eat. You can't be walking on the street and eat because you know Japan was like that. Too. Uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, my brother, my older, my oldest brother. Uh, Apparently one day he uh, he went out on the, uh, in the market and bought uh, some uh, some food and was walking on the street and he was eating and so the uh, uh, soldiers uh, caught him and they said they asked him where'd you buy this food and he he told them so they brought him back to the place and uh, told the you know the lady who he he bought this uh the the stuff from uh the, like where's the food where's all the food that you sold to this young man and they, uh, she showed it to them and uh and and then they told her we're gonna buy all of this and he's gonna have to eat all of it right now uh and if he doesn't we're gonna uh, he's we're gonna beat him up how old so, was he then he was about um kid 16 wow he was about 16 or 17 or so uh and so he started eating and then what saved him was that there was a, an older gentleman passing by and he remonstrated with the uh, soldiers saying, How, uh, why is it that you're, you're, you're buying all this food for this young man? You're not, and we're suffering with hunger here and you're not helping us out. And so the soldiers were like, well, if that's the case, you come and finish the food then. And if you don't finish it, we're going to beat you wow. instead of him. And so that's how my brother was let go. 
so that um uh is that a true story yeah that's a true story apparently uh that's what uh you know my uh my siblings keep telling me i was too young i i, I don't remember that uh, uh but uh that's what my siblings uh tell me uh, that's what happened to them yeah okay interesting i wonder if it's like that now probably not no no not now not now okay now you your family your your parents were missionaries correct and then your family went to Senegal yes. to do missionary work, right? Mm-hmm. How, and so you went from a country that's 96% Christian to a country that's 96% Muslim. Yes. Were they specifically doing missionary work to Muslims or just in general there? or what, How did that all come about? So my, my father was sent to uh, Senegal as the uh, superintendent of the United Methodist Church okay. mission. Uh, in Japan, so the work of the superintendent really was. Uh, so my, my my father was trained as a church planter. So what his um, main mission and goal in uh, in Senegal was to go and plant churches in the different cities uh, of Senegal and train pastors, so that you know local uh, Senegalese pastors would then take over, you know, uh, the church uh, uh, and whatnot. So that was uh, the main uh, mission. Now, I mean, I, I said that it's a Muslim country, but it's not. It's a secular government. It's not Sharia right. law. So, right. How how was he welcome? I mean, was it any problems with with the authorities or with the people trying to start, start Christian churches there? Not at all. Not at all. So Senegal, uh, you know, the uh, Senegal is known as the land of the Taranga, uh, which pretty much translates to the the, the welcoming land. So uh, the Senegalese people are very welcoming uh, to foreigners, and um, there 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 is no conflict whatsoever between Christians and Senegalese Muslims. And uh, to prove the fact is um, the very first uh, Senegalese president Leopold Sedar Senghor was Catholic. Mm. Uh, he was Christian. So so you do have a lot of uh, authority figures uh, even in the government mm-hmm. in Senegal who are Catholic. So. Uh, uh, Catholicism is actually uh, uh, pretty well known and respected in Senegal, even among I guess from the French heritage. Yeah, yeah. So there's there's not really any uh, problems, and so my parents uh, and all the other missionaries uh, uh, didn't really have any problems uh, in Senegal. And how old were you when you when you went there? Uh, I was eight years old. Okay, and then you basically spent your childhood there, right? My child. Yep. Yep. How was that? What was you? Did you go to a, a, a international school or a? Yes. So the uh, first two years we went to. Uh, so our parents wanted us to, you know, learn. Uh, when we we're in Congo, we we're studying French. But at least for myself, my siblings it was a different case. I wasn't very interested in French because I, I always wanted to speak Swahili. You know, that was uh, what was comfortable. But when we went to Senegal, now there's no there's no longer an opportunity to speak in Swahili. You have yeah. to communicate with people in the country. Right. So French was the only way. Um, so they they enrolled us in a local uh, public uh, school uh, under in, in the French system and because they also wanted us to, uh, you know, know academic French. Mm-hmm. So the first two years we went to... Uh, the public uh, school uh, to to learn French, and in the meantime, we're also learning the local language of Wolof. But then after that, uh, we got enrolled into a uh, private uh, school. It's 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 a missionary K 
kids school mm-hmm. uh, that is established there, an American missionary kids school. Were you learning English at this time too, or? or... Uh, so I didn't start learning. Eng- well, I've, my first time to start learning English was when we first came to the U.S. Uh, a year before going to Japan. That was when I. Oh, don't get ahead of the story. Too oh, yeah. Sorry, 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 <laughs> sorry. Yeah, but um, yeah. So I was uh, I st- I started learning English after transferring to the private school in um in Senegal in Dakar. And you were a teenager then. I was yes, yes. I was a teenager. You yeah. speak with no accent now, so I mean, usually that starts when people learn when they're very young. Yeah, yeah my oldest, uh, our oldest sister's, uh, she's the best. She, she, uh, she didn't leave. She didn't come to the U.S. until uh, until she came for college. And you know, when you listen to her speak, you you'd think she she was born and really? grew up here in the U.S. Yeah. What, what were the cultural differences between Congo and Senegal? You must, I mean, was it really like a challenge to get accustomed there? Um, I guess the language uh, must have been the biggest thing. The language uh, was the biggest thing, but th- that too uh, didn't take so long uh, because in because that's actually it's when we moved to Senegal that I started playing soccer. I got interested mm. in introduced. You to can't not play soccer, right? 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 Yeah, and so you know, playing soccer and, you know, spending time with, you know, friends, yeah. uh, you know, we used to play on the streets actually. And so, uh, picking, uh, I started picking up the language. And so very soon, very quickly, you know, whatever culture shock there was, you know, sort of dissipated. Yeah. And I think wrestling is another big sport in yes. Senegal, right? Yes. yes. Wrestling is, is major, is major. I want to say next to soccer, that's uh, the the next main uh, national sport. Did you ever do that? No, I ne- <laughs> no, I, I never did because um, usually it's for you know burly uh, kind of uh, yeah. guys, and I'm not I'm not a burly one. So <laughs> yeah. Well, the, what were the the musical differences? I think that the, what do they call Balak's music? Balak. Yep. And wh- how is that? What's the characteristics of that kind of music? So compared to sukus of Congo, yes. So uh, the main difference in uh, in uh, uh, Cong- Congolese uh, and Senegalese music and dance because they're they're really related. Um, uh, I mean the music and the dance and the dancing. So Congolese people like uh, a music that sort of moves, you know, their midriff, you know, the mid part of their body. Um, but uh, Senegalese people uh, prefer to use uh, music that makes them move like the lower part of the bar, so, so, huh. so their legs. Okay. So in Senegalese dancing, in Senegalese music, it uh, it makes the people use a, a whole lot of you know you know different muscles, kicking and jumping uh, movements. But Congolese people like to you know stay on their feet, but you know use uh, the midriff. So uh, there's so I guess uh, what. In terms of instruments, uh, you know, in Congo, you have a lot of, you know, uh, guitar, like electric guitar and um, uh, solo guitars and whatnot. Whereas in uh, Senegal, you have the tam-tam, mm. uh, uh, the drums and uh, other, you know, shir- you know, sharp sounding sounds that, that is incorporated in their music. Was there a difference in the types of food? I, I, I get the impression that Senegalese food is... Kind of more spicy than Congolese, or am I wrong? Um, not really spicy, but oily. Oh. Senegalese food is really oily. They okay. really like oil uh, there, and they eat a lot of uh, 
uh, seafood. Yeah, I'll be uh, uh, in Japan, you know. Uh, sorry, <laughs> in Japan and Senegal being on the coast. yes, you didn't. We didn't talk about the Senegal's on the west coast, right? That's on the west coast of Africa. So yeah, there's that difference. And uh, the main staple uh, in Senegal is rice, whereas in Congo, at least the part of the country where I'm from, uh, uh, the main staple is fufu. So there's that big difference, which is basically a starchy, yes, yeah, food that, yeah. yeah, you, yeah, so like the way rice is used in Asia, more right. or less, to correct, staple yeah. of the meal with right, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. All right, well, time for another break, George. Um, we're gonna have to take a short break, and then we're gonna come back and talk about the latter years of your life up until <laughs> yeah. the current. You're listening to Stories of New Americans on 101.9, 94.1. Stories of New Americans with Ron Clutho on News Talk STL. Stories of New Americans. Brought to you in part by Samim Afghan Restaurant, featuring traditional Afghan cuisine and conveniently located on Manchester Road in the Grove. Stories of New Americans. Brought to you by Hacking Law for individuals who want to come and stay in the U.S. Hacking Law fights for immigrants every day. Visit them at hackingimmigrationlaw.com. This is Stories of New Americans with Ron Clutho on News Talk STL. Welcome back to Stories of New Americans. Uh, George was talking about growing up in Senegal, but then you came to the United States for a while after that, right? For college? Yes. How did that happen? Yes. So, well, um, so while while uh, my parents were missionaries in Senegal and we were living in Senegal, we were actually, uh, we would come back to the U.S. because the the... Their base was in the U.S., oh. so we we had to come back to the U.S. You know, every two and three years and stay for like okay. six months or uh, to a year, uh, you know, for them to give reports and whatnot. So, so during that time, we we're coming to the U.S., but I did not fully return to the U.S. until my uh, for, for my senior year in high school. So I we we came back uh, my senior year of high school and we were in Boston, and that's where I. Uh, graduated uh, from high school, and then after that, went to college uh, in North Carolina, mm-hmm. um, uh, did my four years there. When did you study there? I studied uh, international studies oh. in Japanese. Yeah, interesting. Yes. At, what, what piqued the interest in Japan? It, actually, my interest in Japan started in my senior year in in, in high school. Uh, I was... I was uh, I was watching, you know, movies, uh, and I came across a Japanese movie called Death Note. Mm-hmm. And uh, where, when I started watching the movie, uh, I thought it was going to be in English, but it was in Japanese. But at first I was like, what is this language? I don't understand it. Um, but uh, I, I stuck through the movie because they had subtitles. Uh, so, But by the end of the movie, I was really int- interested and intrigued by the language and how it sounded because it sort of actually sounded a lot similar to Swahili. Mm. So, so yeah. Uh, after that, I was like, I want to, I, I want to listen, I want to learn this language, and so that's how it started. And so uh, I decided when I go to college, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna study it. And when I met you last year, you told me that you spoke Japanese, and I, you know, I 
full of myself and showing off. I said something new in Japanese with my limited, and you rattle off three paragraphs. So then you you so you wound up going to Japan as an right. exchange student. How, Correct. Talk, let's talk about that. Yes. So my senior year in in uh, in college, actually, I had wanted to go before that for at least a whole year, but uh, I I didn't get the opportunity until my senior year. Uh, so I, I yeah I went in the fall of the of 2011, um, and I went to a small city called Nishin in uh, Aichi Aichi Prefecture, uh, not too far from Nagoya, and uh, yeah I was there for uh, for three months, and that was that was really uh, that made that made the difference in my uh, in my Japanese learning. Yeah. Uh, history because you know for the three years uh three and some years studying it you know in the classroom and in textbooks i could not speak i could not communicate but just being uh in the country yeah. you know soaking in the culture that's the best and, way to learn a language three months three months is all it uh i needed uh, is all it took uh, were you in a dormitory uh yes yes there was a uh international student uh uh, dor- uh dormitory there and that's that's where I was staying, but I was really I was just only sleeping there because I wanted to immerse myself as much as possible in the culture, and so I I was always outside. I I, I joined the soccer team, uh, uh, the school soccer team. Really? I was yeah. Well, there were two of us. It was myself and then the, uh, my my friend from uh, England. Uh, we jo- we joined the team, and so we had to communicate with our teammates, right? So yeah. and Japanese was. Uh, the mode of communication, so that forced us to learn. So was it, it was easy to make friends there? Yes, it was. They're, they're, uh, they were really friendly, welcoming, mm-hmm. and especially when they saw that uh, you tried to, you know, know their language, their culture, their history, yeah. and that you were invested and interested in it. Yeah. Uh, they they were they they were really glad and happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then so you were there. You said three months, but then yeah. you later went. For a longer time, right? Yes, I did. Uh, so after that, I when I returned to the U.S. and graduated, and then uh, uh, after going to uh, graduate school, starting graduate school, and then I went to Canada, uh, finished graduate school, but didn't. And so during that time uh, is when I had the opportunity to then go to Japan and uh, to work. And so that's when I went. And I, I, uh, when I went to work, I stayed there for two years. And you, because you've lived in several different countries, is does it get easier to move to another new country? You kind of get used to, you know, different things, and or is it is it always a challenge to move to a new country? Uh, Japan would be pretty different from the other countries you've been to. Yeah, Japan was was really different. Uh, the The first thing that struck me about Japan was the cleanliness. Yeah, <laughs> when I when I got there, every other country I'd been to uh, to that point, it, it, it was just it was different. It was really clean. Uh, th- that was, that was my culture shock, yeah, <laughs> so, so yeah. to speak, it, more so than, you know, like food or, you know, the language and, yeah. uh, and, and all that stuff was the cleanliness. Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, no, it's, uh, it, it's, I, I guess I'm grateful, uh, to my parents and, you know, just, uh, circumstances in general, uh, God above, uh, above all things that, you know, I, I grew up, uh, with, uh, you know, the ability to see different things, you know, from a very young age. And so now when I go to a, a different place, a different country, there's not really that much of a culture shock, mm-hmm. uh, so to speak. Yeah. 
what how did you like the japanese food that was that was pretty different i had a hard time with a lot of the um different types of seafood like yeah yeah squid and octopus and, and yeah no i i actually like japanese food the only food that got me and still gets me to this day and which i will not go out of my way to get is uh not at all yeah that that I think I would have to stay in Japan for a really long time to yeah. know, uh, adjust my taste buds. <laughs> tell tell us what natto is actually. So natto it's an acquired is, taste, definitely. Yeah, it is. It is. It's pretty much uh, fermented beans and uh, soybeans. Right? Yeah, soybeans that are really gooey and uh, really stinky. Really stinky. <laughs> so uh, the moment you put it in your mouth, it's like you 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 start regretting uh, having to do that, but. I had to, to, you know, to eat it a few times because, you know, Japanese people yeah. offering it to me. And since uh, I think it's rude to refuse right. something, especially in a host yeah. uh, call, uh, country that you go, you know, I had to soldier through it and, and, and eat it. It kind of <laughs> smells worse than it tastes, though. Maybe. Yes. Yes. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I think, <laughs> well, maybe, maybe. Uh, both, both of them are just not pleasant to me. So yeah. both the taste and the smell. Uh, but I think you might be right. I think the smell. But uh, generally, the f- I liked the food when I was there. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I didn't I really, like not I really enjoy the food. I like the seafood. Yeah, uh, because you know it's uh, and a lot, a lot of it. You know what I really like about Japanese food is that they try to eat eat it fresh, mm-hmm. whereas here, you know, we're going to put something, you know, on, you know, we're going to cook it for a while. Uh, they they don't take that much time to cook something you're going to put it in the nabe uh, you yeah. know in the pot and you know as it's it's cooking they're eating it you know <laughs> yeah so, um i really like that yeah. about their food yeah. okay you worked what kind of work did you do when you were there so i did i worked uh i was sent as a uh, young adult missionary uh, oh. so my work was actually uh to to work with uh a local youth center there to sort of uh be something of a mentor and a uh, counselor to young uh, to youth and young young adults uh in Japan uh, especially uh, most more more specifically christian uh, Jap- uh japanese christian young adults but uh we also worked with uh, uh non christians um and so it was both to help them in their faith and but also just in society in general mm-hmm. uh i was helping i was basically a uh an assistant to uh, the director of uh, the youth center there, and then did you from there? Did you come back to the United? States? I came back to the U.S. to St. Louis first. Yep. Yep. Okay. And what? So how how did that come about? And what and what did you do? And what are you doing now? Yes. Yeah, so coming back to uh, the U.S., I had to uh, because I when I was in Japan, uh, I you know I was given the the privilege uh, to return to the U.S. as a uh, uh, green card holder because I, I got my visa when I was in Japan you know the, that's the weirdest things um, uh, so when the time came to return to the US I had to decide where to return and at that time my brother and my sister were living in the US my brother was here in St. Louis and my sister was in Dallas Texas now I had lived in Dallas Texas before and so I'd, but I'd never been to St. Louis so I decided you know what let me go see what St. Louis is like and so that's how I ended up coming to St. Louis, and when I came, I started working with the YMCA. Uh, I worked as a counselor uh, for the YMCA, you know, uh, taking, uh, 
you know, as a counselor, you know, counseling kids, you know, taking care of kids at camp and, you know, after school and uh, for school uh, and all that. I worked with the YMCA up until the pandemic uh, broke. Uh, that's when I stopped. Then after that, I worked with, uh, you know, the local couple of nations, uh, the uh, immigrant, um, uh, uh, well, the organization that tries to help immigrants, you know, settle into St. Louis through soccer. Um, and then after that, I, I started working with, uh, you know, uh, my current company, which is a, uh, cabinetry and closet, uh, manufacturing. Had, um, did you find that America had changed when you came here after Japan from when you were here earlier as a kid? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I, it, it, the, it, it actually amazed me, uh, the big difference that I sensed, um, just even when I was in college, uh, as to now, and that's only about 10 to 12 years. It's a huge, it's a huge change. It's a very huge change. Um, yeah, yeah. I definitely feel the the difference in the change. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, good or bad? Well, in my opinion, bad. Yeah, bad. Worse. Yeah, it's worse, and it's getting worse by the year. Yeah, the way I see it. Yeah, yeah. Just yeah. the way the the divisions, the the divisions, and uh, mainly, I think it's just the uh, the abandoning of uh, traditional American values, uh, the principles on which this country, this nation, was uh, uh, built upon. I feel like there's a war against those principles and, uh, which, which to me is really sad because I think that, you know, the principles and the uh, values in which this country was built on, uh, are really good and, uh, you know, constructive to a, a strong nation and then those are being destroyed. And so I think it's weakening the nation now. I agree with you. And it's, in, I mean, it's, interesting to hear that you you know you were gone for a while you came back and you really saw it was gradual maybe it was, really wasn't that gradual but in a way it was for us who've been here all the time but yeah. you you were gone and you came back yeah it was, yeah it was pretty drastic for me <laughs> do you think we can go back to the way things were uh i i i don't think so i don't think so because i think um We've gone too far. We've gone too far. And Pandora's box has been open pretty much. And there's no closing it, uh, in my opinion. And now, I don't think that, you know, there's there's going to be uh, a huge uh, collapse uh, very soon. But, mm-hmm. like, we are headed to, to that. And I don't know that, um, I don't think there's there's going to be a solution Unless it's a divine intervention. <laughs> well, I let, I want to try to end this on a happy note. <laughs> um, I agree with you. I I, I think it's you know it, there have been a lot of changes in the last five or ten years. But um, what are what are the what's I'm usually asked what's the best and worst thing about living in the kind of in the United States. But what mm-hmm. what is the best thing about living here for you right now, if anything? The best thing for me uh, is the fact that, you know, just just like the founding fathers declared, you know, you know, right to liberty and, uh, you know, happiness, uh, pursuit of happiness. Uh, that's that's the, the, the best thing uh, in the U.S. You know, the U.S. has for a long time. They'll have that. Uh, advocate. We, we still have it to a certain degree. Now, 
it is being, you know, yeah. uh, you know, uh, limited uh, little by little, but yeah. it's to some extent, it's still uh, there. So I think that's the best thing. And do you feel welcome here? Do you feel a part, like, absolutely, the country? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. When people, when you tell people where you're from, do they, do they know where your country is or do they have, what kind of questions do they ask you? Not most people don't know exactly uh, where uh, they know. Generally, Africa uh, they uh, they know, but uh, specifically where I'm from, uh, no. But yeah, yeah. So those who are interested, you know, who actually know their, you know, yeah. international or net, uh, global geography, they'll you know they'll ask questions and whatnot. Okay. And do you plan to stay here now? Uh so I do. I do plan to stay. Knowing here. you, you'll wind up in probably somewhere like Bolivia next. <laughs> No, I, my plan is actually to return to Japan. Japan. My plan is to return to Japan. Okay. Uh, but when that's going to be, I do not. Interesting. What, it, what? Any final words, any words of wisdom, anything you'd like to say to the listeners about just maybe life in America, any any message, things you've noticed? Yeah, the, the only message I would say is just encourage Americans to you know love uh, love their country. And I, I'm also a fellow American now, so I would say let us love our, our country yeah. and let us defend the values that have made us what we are because yeah. we are blessed. We are really gifted yeah. uh, to have what we have. We didn't work for it. We didn't fight for it. Other people uh, lost their lives for it. So let's not um, uh, throw it away. No, we need to hear this, especially from somebody like you that's that's been around the world. So yep. that's great. Thank you. Thank you for that. All right. Well, we're out of time, unfortunately. But uh, thank you again for coming down and sharing your story. Thank you for having me. Yeah. You've been listening to Stories of New Americans on News Talk STL 101.9, 94.1. Thanks for listening. Stories of New Americans with Ron Clutho on News Talk STL. Ah!